0: This is the New Zealand Young Professionals Podcast, brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Now please welcome your host, Ed McKnight. Welcome to the New Zealand Young Professionals Podcast. I am your host, Ed McKnight. Uh, thinking back to the first full-length feature episode we did, which was the political episode, we talked about that so many young professionals are disengaged with politics because the policies and the party leaders don't speak directly to young professionals. If you go along to a normal political debate, it's the older generations who are really interested in politics. And because uh, I believe that... Political party leaders, they're only seeing these people interested in politics, and these are the people that tend to vote. That's where the policies are targeted towards, or that's where, that's where the, their policies really are tailored for. So, what we're doing is we're bringing in each of the leaders of the New Zealand political parties, uh, both in Parliament and then including the Opportunities Party, which is outside of Parliament, and I'm going to be sitting down with each of the party's leaders to ask them, what are your top three priorities? How are they going to directly and indirectly affect New Zealand's young professionals? And let them have the opportunity to frame their policies for New Zealand's young professionals, for millennial voters. Uh, we have David Seymour, who is the leader of the ACT Party, and it'll be really interesting, and I'm really excited to hear what he has to say as the youngest party leader in Parliament, what what his perspective is on his policies and how they're going to affect New Zealand's young professionals. Today I am here in the studio with ACT Party leader David Seymour. David, how are you today? Great, thanks. Uh, So David, I was coming out of Faro Fresh the other day in Green Lane and I saw a massive billboard just just across as I was coming out Mm. and I thought, wow, that first of all, that is an impressively sized billboard, but I thought, I wonder who the man is behind that billboard and I'd love to hear a little bit about where you grew up, how you grew up
1: and um, yeah, hear a little bit about the man behind the billboard. Yeah, so I I was born in Palmerston North and um, about the same time as I learned to walk, I also left there and um, went to moved to Wongarei where my um, mum's family's from Um, and our family are just about all engineers Um, so I I graduated electrical Um, we had a family business up there that um, was in the electrical contracting business did a lot of work on the electrical work on the oil refinery up there Um, so that was a lot of my background I I always tell people the story about my mum who um, was one of the last people in The world to have the polio um, virus, Uh, and you know, growing up in the 50s, and they told her, You know, you won't be able to walk, or you won't be able to run, or you won't be able to go to university, or have kids, or work, or whatever. And she did practically all those things. Um, You know, she became the chief pharmacist at Northland Health. Um, She she had children, which you can judge for yourself, but, you know, my brothers are pretty talented. Um, (laughs) And um, uh, I I maintain that they were half right when they said she wouldn't be able to drive. Um, But um, it's just a story about how, you know, you can overcome stuff Uh, you know you don't have to let other people uh, define your destiny and the other side of my background was you know the business side so I kind of grew up um, hearing about electrical contracts and doing work overseas and how you know a swing in the exchange rate could wipe out the profitability of a job and you know the importance of um, you know being a good employer because you've got to keep people happy working for you so that was sort of my my upbringing and my background. and then I guess, you know, as I got a bit older and became a teenager, I, like a lot of people, were sort of figuring out, well, what can I do with my life? And the first thing is I felt incredibly lucky. I mean, to be born in New Zealand in the 20th century, um, you know, into a good family, I mean, you're you're incredibly lucky um, to get any of those things anytime. time. Um, yeah. And so I started to think, well, I I want to do something that, that, you know, I feel like I'm, um, you know, helping the world. And lots of people do that in lots of ways. I mean, entrepreneurs do it, creating more interesting jobs and better products. Um, People in education do it in a really pointed way for a lot of the kids that they educate. Uh, I just found that the thing I could do was actually public policy. And I I got interested in it, got interested in economics, uh, got interested in politics. And I thought, well... If I can make a half-decent shot at being good in politics and improving the standard of public policy and the standard of debate over it, then that would be a worthwhile thing to do with, you know, at least the, the first part of my career. And so I went and worked for public policy think tanks where I wrote a lot of newspaper op eds, did a lot of interviews, um, kind of learnt the ropes about how economics and a lot of government policy works. And then I came back and, you know, the ACT party was uh, in a bit of a tailspin. Um, so I became the, the Epsom candidate and got elected. Uh, and then I became the leader. And so now I'm basically in a startup business. For me, it's a nine-year project. Um, I'm currently in year three of getting myself established and learning the ropes. And hopefully at the, this election, I'm going to bring in several more ACT MPs. And then we start a caucus culture. And in the third term, we turn back into a, you know, a, a sort of a medium-sized party. So that's that's my ko I guess, is, um, you know, a better New Zealand through better public policy and building a political party that will do that. And I, I just feel like, I've been fairly lucky in life, and you've got to make the most of it and do something good. Mm.
0: And you're definitely right about uh, the ACT Party and its trajectory over the last couple of elections. Uh, I remember back in 2008 when uh, Rodney Hyde was leader, and he received uh, 3.65% of the vote, Mm. um, followed by 1.07%. 2011 under uh, Dr Don Brash, and then 2014 um, the worst result, and in, in certainly my memory, 0.69% under Jamie White. Why do you think it is that that the ACT Party has been on that trajectory?
1: Oh, it's that's a podcast in itself. I mean, it, it's a, a series of events that would be hilarious if only that happened to someone else's party. <laughs> um, ugh, you know, I mean, look, um, I, I think. There's, I've identified four factors that are important. Um, one is continuity of leadership. Um, two is some confidence of being re-elected. Um, three is just being good, you know, acting well and, and being reported as, as being, making a positive contribution. Uh, and then four is running a good campaign. So if you look at ACT history, um, ACT has been the fourth, almost the third largest party in parliament at various times when they got all of those things right. Um, those bad results that you just talked about, um, those were results where they changed the leader in election year, and that's never a good sign, but I, I don't think they're going to swap me out between now and the election, so it's good. <laughs> um, it wasn't obvious that, that Acts would be back in Parliament at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not everyone thought that some kid back from his OE was going to win the Epsom electorate in 2014, but I, I, I pulled through. Um, this time, people aren't really questioning that, so that's mm-hmm. positive, and that means that people up and down the country can vote for us. They know their vote won't be wasted. Every vote counts if you, if you win the first seat, but... Um, and then you know, I think we've, we've behaved pretty well and made a positive contribution mostly over the last two and a half years. I and mean, A lot of people say that. And then finally, we've got absolutely A-class campaign managers. We've got um, you know, American strategists. Um, and then we've got a, a really good guy who's campaigned for us before and campaigned in four other countries. So look, I, I think we're in a position to do well and to be the voice of a generation and hold the balance of power and actually shift um, the direction of New Zealand and its parliament. Mm. And I'll take my hat off for you, to you for um,
0: actually answering the question rather than moving around it. But today, we're not here to talk about the party's history. We're here to talk about policy and what that means for young professionals. And again, the reason you're the first leader that, that we're interviewing as part of the series is because, A, you're probably the youngest of uh, the leaders. By 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 almost 15 years. No doubt. And and secondly, that you're probably the only one talking about young professionals at the moment. And I took a screenshot of your Facebook wall about at about one o'clock today, which is about two hours ago and you'd written this week the government announces its 2017 budget the most important thing is what's not included a raise in the age of superannuation the government is instead kicking supercharges down the road for 20 years under 40s will have to pay an extra 58 billion in taxes to let baby boomers retire early before we have the same entitlement denied to us what what makes you stick up for young professionals and what what makes you want to talk about these these issues that affect young people well,
1: I mean, th- there's two answers to that. One is the self-interested answer that I am one. And it really pisses me off that because of basically a lack of leadership and a inability to look at the numbers and do what's right, um, people like me are going to pay, you know, $58 billion bucks worth of tax to people collecting super at age 65 and 66 over the next 20 years as a result of not making any changes. Um, so it's the first thing. I don't particularly want to pay an extra 58 billion bucks in tax. But the second thing is that, you know, I think if you're going to go through all the crap you go through to be in politics, you've got to actually make good policy and make good decisions. And, you know, the, 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 the retirement commissioner who we all pay to produce reports and study these things says, look, you've got to, raise the age. The Treasury, who we all pay to produce the um, long-term fiscal outlook every four years, um, has been saying since 2006, that you've got a problem on the horizon. Um, there's going to be more and more people retiring and living longer. We're going to go from four taxpayers supporting every superannuitant down to two to one. So for every two taxpayers, there's going to be a superannuitant that they're you know, piggybacking, basically. And the only way to really resolve that is to say, well, people are living longer. Um, The justifiable thing is to raise the age at which you start getting super. That means that there'll be more people working longer and paying tax and fewer people collecting. And yet the thing is that the percentage of your life that you pay, that you spend getting super, is currently about 24%. If we make no changes, it'll be 28% of your life in 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 20 years time Um, I think the principle should be just to maintain that you know everyone regardless of which generation you're from gets about 24% of their life on super that would be fair um and, you know, it's always hard doing numbers in, a, in an oral format, so I won't, won't go on. But, you know, anyone with Excel and five minutes of spare time can work out, that, you know, what a fair outcome would be. And John Key before him and sadly now Bill English uh, just pretending there's no real problem. They're either not going to change it or they're not going to change it in the next 20 years.
0: So if you do, um, say you get re-elected, which um, nobody, as you mentioned, nobody's really questioning at the moment, and you're going into a coalition uh, with the the National Party, will this be a bottom line for you? Or how will you get some of the
1: policy that you're talking about now across the line? Well, the the thing about bottom lines is that there's never really a bottom line. Um, Well, there's not, because everyone's always got options. The ultimate option is if no one can form a government, you have another snap election. Um, but a more realistic, op- a, re- a more realistic option, is that you know there'll be several possible configurations of government, and everyone will be shopping around for which one gets the most for their party. Um, so you know it's going to be pretty clear for anyone that's following ACT and anyone that wants to go into coalition with us that this is a really important thing and it's the right thing to do. Um, but, I'll, but in a funny way, it's actually up to other parties how much they prioritise it. Mm-hmm. Because if, you know, let's say the after on election night, Act's done quite well and it's possible to have a National Act government um, and then we say, well, you've got to change this, then, you know, I think that's, it's quite probable that that'll happen. Um, but they could decide to go with New Zealand first. If the alternative is that, you know, it's sort of national act in the Maori party and the Maori party say oh well Maori people don't live as long so therefore it's not fair um, that's going to be harder to negotiate um, so look the, the, the thing is that you know any politician that comes on here and you'll get some who will say it's an absolute bottom line they're not being honest with you about the reality of the negotiations. Now, you can say MMP is a stupid system and you shouldn't have to do negotiations after people have voted. And I I think that's a fair comment. Uh, But look, I didn't vote for MMP. Probably no one listening to this podcast did. I was in standard three at the time. Um, But that's the system we've got. So all I can say to people with my hand on my heart is, look, if you vote for ACT then you're putting a vote towards raising the age. Um, if you vote for anyone else, um, then you're vote, putting a vote to not raise the age. So it's you know, a fairly simple, um, fairly simple uh, formula. And would you say that this is one of your top three priorities? Yeah, I would, because it's, just, it's pretty simple, um, but, it's, but it's pretty easily done. I mean, I think the housing issue is, is much bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the injustice and the unfairness between generations on housing is vastly greater than what it has been. I mean, you, you look at house prices that were three or four times people's income in the eighties are now ten times people's income. In other words, you know, one generation has basically taken uh, about two houses in in their terms. Um, off their kids' generation. And I just think, you know, we we know why it is. Uh, Everywhere in the world that has gone down the route of having really strict land-use planning that tries to force people to live together and restrict the amount of land that's available to build on, every city that's done that has had runaway prices. Um, We're no different. And it's really been an unholy alliance between urban planners who have a dream of everyone living very close together um, and property owners who have a dream of prices going up uh, that have screwed millennial voters. And I think it's time to fight back to that.
0: Mm. So if
1: superannuation Mm. and housing are two of your top three priorities, what would you say is your third? Um, Look, I think it's tax. I mean, again, you know, every other party is prepared to spend, 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 and the ACT Party has shown how you can actually um, reduce taxes to the point where nobody pays more than 25 cent rate. So 25 cents would be the top rate in our worldview. Um, and we could actually do that by giving back the $20 billion of surplus that the government forecasts in the next four years. So we wouldn't cut healthcare, we wouldn't cut education or transport or infrastructure. In actual fact, under our scenario, we'd put an extra $14 billion into those areas. Um, So they would continue on their trend growth. We would just give back the surplus the government has. And look, I think that's got to have a lot of appeal to people who are sitting there saying, look, you know, I'm a couple of years out of uni. Um, Maybe I'm about to crack or have cracked 70K. So every pay rise I get, I pay 33 cents in the dollar at the margin. 12 cents on my student loan, that's 45. If I spend anything, that's 15% of what's left. So it's another eight or so percent. Uh, and then don't even talk to me about booze, maybe tobacco and um, petrol excise tax. Um, so you can easily end up spending 60, 65% of your pay rise uh, on government. And then uh, if that's not enough, you realise that you're paying a substantial portion of it to pay for superannuation that, that you won't get in the same form and then you open up the Herald or you open up the Herald app and they're bloody laughing at you because you haven't paid up uh, saved up $200,000 for a house deposit yet. I mean you know this is seriously outrageous and I think that intergenerational politics is about to start um, getting some airtime because the millennial generations the, 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 an, the annual cohort are actually bigger um, than the boomer ones. It's just that there's not of, enough of us at voting age yet and and we're not actually bothering to vote, but I think we should and I think when we do, things will change a bit. So just to be really clear about that tax policy, mm. uh, I saw it in my Facebook feed a couple of weeks ago, but mm. what is that policy? So we would take the tax rates, which are currently 10.5, 17.5, um, 30 and 33, down to three simple tax rates: ten and a half goes down to ten percent; seventeen and a half goes down to fifteen percent; uh, and the thirty and thirty-three both go down to twenty-five. Uh, so you'd pay ten percent up to up to fourteen grand. Uh, you'd pay fifteen percent through to forty-eight grand, uh, and you'd pay twenty-five percent on all income over um, forty-eight grand. So that's you know quite a substantial tax cut. But that's actually just giving back the extra money that government's forecasting it's going to take beyond its expenditure in the next four years.
0: I know that millennials are also really uh, concerned about inequality on, hmm. on a whole, and uh, I take that anecdotally from, from my Facebook feed and what my friends are saying, yep. what people tend to be saying. Um, what would you say to uh, some, somebody driving along listening to this podcast who's maybe questioning that tax policy because of inequality
1: yep. issues? Well, look, I, I think if you went back to the people who were the founders of the welfare state, when remember that was a time when the government spent 10% of GDP Um, that now taxes and spends anywhere from 30 to 40, depending on which measure you use. And if you said to them, do you think you could alleviate poverty and inequality? for 10% of GDP, that's would say, yeah, a bit more. 20%, probably not that much. 30%, percent that would say, you've got to be kidding. I'm talking about Mickey Savage and Peter Fraser, the, 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 the original Labour Party politicians who created the welfare state, would, would, would be shocked at how much we spend now and how unsuccessful we've been at alleviating poverty and uh, alleviating inequality. And so I think you know there'd always be people that say because it's it's the it's the lazy it's the intellectually lazy answer. Oh, we just need to spend more money, then it'll all get better. Well, if that was going to work, it would have worked um, in the last 80 years. Uh, I think there's there's two major issues, probably probably three major issues around inequality now. The the most obvious one is housing. So if you take the bottom quintile of income earners, so that's the bottom 20% of income earnings, earning households. Um, in 1990, they spent 27 percent of their income on housing. Now they spend 54 percent of their income on housing. It's exactly doubled. And the gap and the gap between incomes between the top 20 percent and the bottom 20 percent, that, that gap hasn't changed. In 30 years, what has changed is the price of housing's gone up so much, the poorest people are now spending more than half their income on housing. So that's why people living in cars and garages that can't afford shoes to send their kids to school, kids going to school without lunch, etc. It's because all their money goes on rent or, if they're lucky, a mortgage. Um, so that's your number one issue, is if you make housing affordable and an ex policy on that is new land use planning laws that encourage growth, Um, new infrastructure funding where councils that give consents get half the GST back from central government so they can afford the infrastructure and so they've got an incentive to consent stuff and replace council building consents so resource consent stay with the council, but replace council building consents um, with a regime of mandatory private insurance of new buildings, because you know, councils are hopeless at building consents. They gave us leaky buildings. Then you'd really kickstart the building of homes, because the, the real issue is, as Shama Belekab will tell you, if we'd kept building houses at the same rate that the baby boomers built them, i.e. the same rate that they were built through the 60s, 70s, 80s, if that had carried on until today, we would have built 500 thousand more houses in the last 25 years than we actually have and that that, there's just a massive shortage of housing out there and it's priced the poor out and it's led to massive inequality and poverty so that's number one Um, number two is education it's just a disaster I mean you've got areas like Porirua and West Auckland where thousands and thousands and thousands of kids I think it's 9,000 out of West Auckland leave those suburbs every day to go to school elsewhere because they don't believe in the schools in their area uh, we've got to do better than that. We've got to give them alternatives. And again, you know, I mean, you look at X charter schools, you know, criticized by the teacher unions because they don't want competition, but never criticized by the people that go to them. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that the Ewe Leaders Forum officially endorses X charter school policy because we're giving opportunities to people who have felt marginalized by the education system for decades. And if you're one of the 20 odd percent who come out of the education system with no useful qualification in the 21st century, you're screwed. And yet we keep these schools open that fail cohort after cohort, year after year. Uh, So look, View is charter schools, Anyone with a good application can start one and if the kids keep passing, then they can keep running it and they can grow and if the kids don't pass, close them down. Um, and what we're seeing, if you look at Te Fetu up in Whangarei, um, the leader is inspirational, Raewyn Tipene, She says, look, um, I started the school because 86% of Māori boys in, uh, in Whangarei were failing NCA Level 1. Now she's got the school open and they've got 86% pass rate for Maori boys. That's the kind of transformation you can make if you introduce competition and choice into education. Um, So look, if you're worried about inequality, I'm with you. But hosing more money at the problem is not going to work. Making the housing market function will work. Um, Having some choice and competition in education will work. Those are the things that matter. Mm. And so, just to
0: summarise those mm. those three policies, so it's really clear to listeners. Mm. And please jump jump mm. in if I've got mm. this wrong. Is that the number the number one uh, priority for you is is tax changing those tax rates, giving um, people more money uh, or their money back, actually um, from well, we're from, ta-
1: taking less of your money in the first place. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Yep. Okay, so the first one is tax. Um, the next the next is housing, so changing uh, zoning zoning laws, trying to increase supply. So so that um, yep. the price comes down yep. and then that helps, um, helps smooth out some of those inequality issues that was just yeah, talked absolutely. about. Yep. And also to um, bring down government spending, you're going to look to change um, superannuation laws.
1: Yep, and if we don't do that in the long term, I mean, the Treasury reports are there, uh, we're going to be 200% of GDP in debt, which is worse than Greece. Um, so there has to be a change. It's just every other political party is avoiding the issue. And some of them know it's a problem. I mean, the Greens know it's a problem. The, the Labor Party know it's a problem because they were campaigning to change it three years ago. But then they, I don't know, lost their nerve. Let me ask you a question, David. So yeah. assume that, uh, that it
0: gets its way, the tax, the tax rates change, um, the housing changes, the superannuation change.
1: When, when am I going to be able to afford a house? That's actually going to take a long time. I mean, the, the truth of the matter is... Well, first of all, it depends on you. I mean, you know, if you stop eating all that smashed avocado and drinking all those lattes, you know, it'll be, <laughs> be easy. We, well, the egg Party, we've calculated that um, the average Aucklander would only have to give up uh, 350 kilograms of smashed avo on toast per year to keep up with the house with the rate of increase in, <laughs> in prices. Um, and, 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 you know, to keep up with the New Zealand average house price rise, you'd only have to give up 26 lattes a day. So, you know... Double down, folks. Work harder. Um, <laughs> but I mean, to answer your question, um, I don't know. What, I don't know what's going to happen in the market with the current settings. Um, it's very possible that you know it's, it's a bubble, and it, there's going to be a massive collapse anyway. Um, if you start re- loosening the restrictions on building new homes then you're going to find that prices are going to decrease, but I don't know how fast. Um, if I knew what was going to happen in the future of, of a housing market, I probably wouldn't be in politics. I'd be making some serious money. Um, so, look, I, I don't really know the answer to your question, but what I do mm-hmm. know is that it's criminal that we are building half as many houses per capita As New Zealand is built in the 1970s. Interesting that you should talk about uh, smashed avocado uh, and soy
0: lattes because they are both vegan. And I was actually watching uh, Q&A yesterday morning uh, at my girlfriend's house and and you came on uh, and you were talking about charities uh, that are campaigning. Or that are lobbying uh, for for different political parties, and you picked in particular on vegans and the Vegan Society. Yeah. yeah. Did I tell you that I don't think I've ever mentioned to you that I'm vegan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. So what, what what were you talking about? Um, you know, what was your point around around there in the Vegan Society?
1: Well, there, there was a more serious point to it all, which is about um, tax avoidance and charities that are uh, actually. Really engaged in lobby, uh, really lobbying companies that are, um, nevertheless, uh, getting the tax break that charities get. Um, so that was the that was the wider point about it, um, but the vegans was just a bit of fun, and I was just pointing out that um, that you know the University of Auckland Meat Club um, doesn't get a tax break, so why should the vegan society? Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, it all got a bit it all got a bit out of hand, and they they only they only played the bit about me attacking vegans, which made me look like a sad sack. So I must have got been, to be I, careful you know.
0: Yeah, I wondered whether it was um, the way they cut it because there was quite a bit of disconnect between. The background you were given, which yep. was um, which was charities lobbying for mm. political parties, yeah, uh, and we'll we'll link in the episode, the Q and A episode uh, in the show notes. Um, because and then you started talking about well the way to the way to the policy you'd want to introduce mm. was um, taxing businesses or for profit businesses that are owned by charities and therefore are not taxed. And there was yep. a bit of
1: disconnect between there. Did you? Yeah, you I mean, they, you also think that? They, yeah, but look, I mean, the the main thing. Say, I mean, we can go into the intricacies of that that tax policy, but um, the the main thing I'd say to people is that you know if you want to get good pro- uh, political information, the best way to do it is actually long form, unedited conversations like this, um, because you you know you, you look at the the TV is probably the worst because they'll interview you for twenty minutes and they'll use literally um, a, a 10 second grab, and that can be totally on message or it can give people a totally different impression uh with print you know a print journalist will ring me up for 20 minutes or talk to them um i think actually a journalist is pretty good often it reflects what what i said but sometimes it doesn't um and then but you know radio interviews or podcasts that are live and unfiltered um those tend to give you a better uh, grasp or a better report uh, a better sense of, of what the person's actually trying to say I'm um, Going back to the man behind the billboard, I mean,
0: I've been very impressed on Facebook by the memes um, yeah. that, that have been coming through. And the one one that we'll put, again put in the show notes is uh, where well, you said, thanks to the people who send me memes, smiley face. Um, and it's the four pills. And it says, choose one, become God himself, learn every language ever, earn 500K a year, or have a resurgent act next election led by David Seymour for a stable, fair, centre-right government. Yeah. Um, and then I saw in the comments that you attract quite a few I must admit, and and somebody said, oh, David, have you been sending them to yourself again?
1: Well, no, it's actually not true. People just send me these memes. Uh, there's three or four different people. And most of them I don't put up, but some of them I think, oh, that looks all right. I mean, I mean, that one got about 500 likes. so It did. You know, and, and, and looking in the back end, I mean, it was probably seen by about 50,000 people. Mm. So that's, and, you know, in the context of New Zealand politics, those are quite big numbers. Mm. Um, and uh, I, so I can see why, you know, some of my trolls get a bit irate, but hey. Yeah, you know, because I, I, I must say. Hey, just kind of hate from from, <laughs> from a
0: casual observation um it seems like occasionally you do get c- c- trolled quite a bit, especially from the New Zealand First Party. And, oh, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if you saw this meme in particular, um, no. which I thought was actually, um, I, I won't make you read it, but it was, uh, there were quite a lot of ad hominem attacks, like personal attacks. Um, yeah. What What is that like as a politician when people um, actually aren't, aren't attacking yeah. your policy, but literally yeah. just attacking you? Well,
1: it's depressing. And I, I think it's it's a sad sort of time in, in the world, actually, that the, the level of sort of, um, debates on a sort of policy issues is is pretty pretty low, um, and and I think that's sad. That's not what I came into politics for. Um, there's a lot more emotive stuff there's a lot more you know outrage um, and saying you know if you don't go along with this set of thoughts then you know you're a bad person and we're going to give you this label etc I don't know if it's always been like that but it just feels like it's like that more at the moment Um, as a politician I mean it it doesn't really you get desensitized Mm -hmm. so people say horrible things about me on the internet every day and it's just like well you know it doesn't affect me Um, it does affect people who are closer to me a bit more Mm -hmm. Um, but they sort of gradually get more desensitised too. Um, but look, I just think at the end of the day, you know, I'm I'm getting up and doing good things. We're changing kids' lives through better schools. Uh, you know, I'm rebuilding the ACT Party into a force for good in New Zealand. Uh, if I spent my time worrying about what, you know, angry people say on the internet, uh, then, whew, well, I guess I would be detracting from all those things, and that's not
0: good. You mentioned earlier that uh, it's a nine-year project. You're looking to rebuild the ACT mm. Party. Where do you want to be um, in terms of percentage of, of the vote in twenty? 17, and how many MPs do you want
1: to bring in with you? So our goal is to repeat what we achieved in 2008 and that year we were polling as low as 0.6% uh, two months out from the election. On election night, as you say, we got 3.65, and that that elected five ACT MPs. So the basic formula is, like, I win Epsom, that's one. If we get one2 1.3%, that's two MPs. 2.1%, roughly, that's three MPs. 2.8% is four MPs, and 35 and 36 is, is five MPs. Um, give or take a bit, because it depends on how much wasted vote there is from other parties. So, you know, that, that's our goal, is to repeat the 2008 um, performance. And what that would mean is that, you know, we'd have a whole different group of personalities. It wouldn't just be me. Um, we'd start establishing a caucus culture. Um, little things like, for instance, at the moment, I get to ask a question in the house once every eight sitting days. So there's three sitting days a week, about two, two or three months, or two or three weeks a month. So basically, I get to ask a question in Parliament every month. Um, if we had five MPs, we get to ask five questions in Parliament. So you know that'd be cool. Uh, and so we're, um, you know, I'm kind of kind of interested in, in just doing things like that because all of a sudden people say, well, gee, we hear a lot more about the ACT Party. Well, yeah, because you know you're asking five questions a month instead of one. And I, I, think that you've, you've almost got a reputation in, in my eyes as a little bit
0: of a practical joker at times. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you come out with some interesting uh, quips, everything from uh, the French love cock to useless as a, as a chocolate dildo. <laughs> I've got, I've got two questions. First of all, like, how do you come up with these? And, and, and B,
1: exactly how useless is a chocolate dildo? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I I've never actually owned one myself but I mean
0: I guess they're probably
1: orally useful um um you could eat it but um no look uh it's just a bit of fun I mean if you you don't laugh at yourself from time to time uh you know you'd go mad and um I guess I've been a little bit indulgent that you know you you get into Parliament you're 31 years old and you discover that you can say just about anything and they'll report it and you think Jesus this is going to be some fun so I, had to, so I had to so I most of that stuff actually happened a while ago and I had to tone it back a bit but um nevertheless it was yeah it was good fun for a while I mean you know mm. I must admit, if, if nothing else, I like that the media
0: have treated um, your quips a, a little bit more comically than the likes of, of Jamie White, because he got, you know, he, some of the things that he had mentioned around, you know, um, that incest really should be legalized from, from a, a moral, ethical standpoint, mm-hmm. um, whereas they've treated all of your quips with, with a little bit more humor, I guess, which they're,
1: which they're meant with. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really know why that is. I mean, I just I just work on the basis that um, if you're not offending or hurting anyone, then generally you're going to be okay. And the the issue, I think, with uh, the incest, and I was really unfortunate, um, is that, you know, Jamie is a, a good friend of mine and an exceedingly intellectual guy. I mean, he's very, very bright, um, great raconteur, um, a lot more interesting than me, and, and so unfortunately he didn't get into Parliament um, but one of the things he didn't realise when he said that is that for a lot of people incest actually means abuse, um, non consensual sex within families, and so you know for that reason um, it was deemed to be deeply offensive. Now he, he genuinely didn't get that. He he saw it as a um, intellectual purely academic yeah it's probably something they teach in philosophy 101 right when he was a philosophy professor Um, so you know first of all it was hurtful to some people and second of all it kind of revealed that he was unfamiliar with with what the word actually meant to people and that that, for those reasons it got him in a lot of trouble Um, but he he meant no malice he was just he was just unlucky and you know a bit of a shitstorm piled on yeah
0: and that, I think that was unfortunate because mm. I think you could see at the time mm. um, what what he meant by it uh, mm. so, certainly from my perspective um, mm. you know he did come across as a very academic guy look looks mm. at things um, in, in purely um, that that academic form mm. Mm. um as we've we've mentioned that politics can be a bit of a dirty game, um, and so we want to bring a little bit of a little bit of fun uh, back back into it, and we want to get these touchy feelys out. And so I've got a little bit of a surprise. <laughs> All right. We have the uh, Wheel of Fortune. And in the past, we have used this uh, game wheel to um, come up with random topics. Today, we're going to use it. We've got all of the different political parties uh, around the wheel, and we're going to spin it. And when it lands on one of the parties, what I'd really love to hear about is either someone you admire within that party, how you could potentially... Uh, have a successful coalition with them, or some a policy that you admire from them. So we're just looking for to to bring some of the love back into politics. Fair so I, I can't even see this at the moment. Well, I'll just have to get up. Do you want to spin it yourself?
1: All right. Well, if, if moving's okay, then I can oh, do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. All right.
0: Give it a big spin. All right. So you've come up, you've come up with the Labour Party. All so, right. what are, what are some nice things or about the Labour Party, or who are some of the people you admire in there, or how, oh, how could you form a
1: coalition with Labour? Look, I, I really admire Pene um because Pene. Is a guy that is, you know, the classic backbench MP. He represents his constituents, and he's prepared to stand up to the party uh, at times to do that. And he's done that over partnership schools. Um, so is Willie Jackson. So is Calvin Davis, where they've basically said, "Look, this education system that some of our colleagues defend um, has failed." me and my kids and we want alternatives and we want choice. I mean, Penny's um, wife actually works at a charter school. Um, so, you know, I admire the fact that he took the stand and obviously I think it's something I could work with, um, with, with the backbench of the Labour Party who actually see the need for some change and more choice and more competition, more new schools and more accountability for schools that fail. Could you ever go into coalition with Labour? Or, you know, if you did, how would you see yeah. that working? It's 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 pretty unlikely at the moment because um, I just think that, like, there's been times in New Zealand's history where Labour have been um, the best party by far. And funnily enough, the, the people that were in charge of Labour at that time, Sir Roger Douglas, Richard Preble, um, went on to found the ACT Party. Um, so there's, we actually, we're of the Labour Party in a sense, and you can can see that. Um, but sadly, um, I don't think that um, they're there now. Um, There's some stuff that you know they're, they're reasonably good on like if you talk to penny about education or if you talk to Phil Twyford about um, uh, you, you know the, the some of the housing aspects that's that's kind of good um, if you talk to Jacinda Ardern about social liberalism issues I mean I've got a lot of time for Jacinda I stood against her in Auckland Central once and as a, as a person she's great uh, but then they just come up with stuff that's just completely nuts that, that you know government's going to start buying up private land and building homes I mean you know the, the, why does the government have any advantage at construction over the private sector I mean the, if anything um, they're spending other people's money to build other people's homes they'll do it worse mm. um, so you know they just have a habit of coming up with stuff that's just nuts
0: well let's get back yeah. to the
1: warm fuzzies so yeah. we'll
0: give this one more go we will right. give this one the spin okay <laughs> who'd we get hopefully it wasn't labour again uh, now that's boring we can't do yeah, national yeah. for uh, I know yeah Oh, okay. National again Well New Zealand first Well that was on United Future It like, was yeah. on United we Future see, Okay well talk to us yeah. about Peter Dunn He's actually the next uh, party leader we've got
1: on the podcast oh, Is he? Oh good Oh look I, I mean I admire Peter for his liberalism You know for a long time he, He'll always be the first guy to stand up And oppose any sort of um, racism or bigotry um, So you know he, he's quite good on stuff like that um and also he's a hell of a survivor i mean he's he was in parliament like when i was 13 months old like yeah yeah it's, but like, really? yeah it's like like in my first year like every time i was doing something for the first time i was like well peter must have done this like i don't know 32 times by now so you know, um so so no peter was peter and also i sit beside peter so he's being good like that what's he like as a person to
0: just sit next to you
1: know give us a bit of insight he, into. Um, uh, he into spends Peter a John. huge amount of time on Twitter which I've never really understood I, I just think it's an echo chamber for angry people but that's my view. Um, so he has been a huge amount of time on Twitter, but no, he's obliging if I ask him about stuff, you know, sort of particularly stuff that he would know having been around a lot longer. He's always very friendly. So, so no, he's a nice enough guy. Oh, it's nice to bring some of the warm fuzzies back into yeah. politics. Yeah.
0: Look, I've got three, three last questions. And the, and the first is, what is ACT all about? So give, us a, give us a quick
1: snapshot summary. Yep. I always go back to Ben Harper's uh, lyrics from the song "Burn One Down," uh, which is my choice is what I choose to do. And if you're causing no harm, it shouldn't bother you. Your choice is who you choose to be, and if you're causing no harm, then you're alright with me. And I just think that's that sums up where we're coming from. You know, if you're not hurting anyone else, you can do what you want. But the government does have a role to stop stop people hurting each other. Hmm. And say so there's, there's somebody listening to
0: this podcast well hopefully there's somebody listening to this podcast and they're, they're driving along the motorway they're in the gym they're walking down Queen Street uh, they're at a cafe in Wellington or Invercargill and yep. they're and they're thinking, well, why should why should
1: I vote for the ACT Party? What would you say to that person yeah. in a couple of sentences? Oh, because you, you want to have the long-term interests of New Zealand at heart, and that means better policy. And one thing about ACT is that we consistently put up thought-provoking policy to make New Zealand a better place. How to build more houses, a three-point plan there. Um, that w- There's about fundamental reform, uh, taking on the issue, issue of super, we're the only ones that will do it tax, we're the only ones that are saying that there should be tax cuts when there's a $20 billion surplus, and there's more creative stuff as well, like you look at um, our sanctuary trust policy is to sell Landcorp, which is an environmental and financial loser, frankly, and um, and use some of the proceeds to set up a hundred year trust sanctuary trust with a mission to fund um, fenced predator-proof wildlife sanctuaries to bring back the bird song that Captain Cook heard in 1769 before we killed all the birds. So you know we're a, po- we're a party that is constantly prepared to put forward better policies for the future in New Zealand is one of the main reasons you might vote for us, mm-hmm. apart from the particular policies you might like as well.
0: And what is the the act party value? And the reason I ask this is that, as I I mentioned, we've previously recorded a political episode and the feeling around the table was that the party you vote for, you might not necessarily agree with eighty percent of their policies, mm. but mm. you agree with a hundred percent of their values. Mm. So if, again, if somebody's somebody's mm. listening to this thinking,
1: well what is what is the act party value? What would mm. you say to that? What are you what what is the party's values? Yeah. Well a lot of a lot of it's summed up in that Ben Harper quote. Um but you know, the party believes in freedom, choice and responsibility. You should be able to do what you want so long as you're not harming others. Uh, you should have choice. But with that comes a lot of responsibility. I mean, you know, we're not in favor of an expansive welfare state. I mean, we're in favor of um, welfare for people who have bad luck and fall on hard times, but not as a lifestyle option. So, you know, it's, it's uh, the, the basic values are that everyone is special. You shouldn't be subject to other people's grand plans and social engineering. You should be able to live your own life but the flip side of that is that you've got to take your own responsibility. And final question David, uh, say that you're
0: at a a family barbecue hmm. and your 8-year-old nephew comes up <laughs> and he and he and he asks you, you know, what you do. W- what I want to get a sense for you is in three sentences or three sentences or less, hmm. how would you describe to your 8-year-old nephew what your big vision for New Zealand is? Hmm.
1: So I, I was about to answer the question of what do I do? Um, but then you gave me a different question, which is um, what my vision for New Zealand is. Look, my vision, first of all, everybody can achieve their dreams regardless of the start they get. So they get good education and markets that function where you can afford a place of your own and find interesting work. So markets that function is, is really important. Some of our markets aren't functioning right now. Um, the second thing is that it's a place that's liberal and tolerant so um, we don't you know beat up on people because they're different different race or sexuality or whatever um, and finally um, we're a place that is, open to the world, not closed off from it. So, you know, we actually welcome the fact that people want to come here and we welcome links where we can go elsewhere. Um, We're proud that we trade with the rest of the world rather than this sort of nativist view that seems to be um, spreading around the world at the moment.
0: David, we can can edit this out uh, because I wasn't going to ask this question, but if efficient markets, globalization and the acceptance of minorities – is your vision for New Zealand. Hmm. Why is it that your top three priorities
1: in policy are superannuation housing and tax? Oh, because you're talking about the difference between values and policies. So if you look at what our what our current challenges are well, you know, we want equal opportunity. That's where housing comes in. Uh, we want fairness. That's where superannuation comes in. And we want tax because at the moment the government is just taking more than it needs to. Um, but, you know, those priorities change over different times. If I was around in the 80s or even as re- recently as 2012, um, you know, I would have said that homosexual law reform and civil unions were priorities. Um, at the moment, to a large extent, those battles have been won. David Seymour from ACT, thank you very much. Thank you. you. So
0: I've just finished uh, up a podcast recording session with David Seymour, leader of the ACT Party, and I just want to summarise what his three priorities uh, were. Starting from 2020, the ACT Party want to raise the age of entitlement to superannuation from 65 to 67, uh, I believe at a rate of about two months per year, finishing up in 2032. And uh, the reason they want to do this is to decrease the cost of superannuation New Zealanders. Uh, Within housing, they want to strip back regulation, reforming the Resource Management Act to try and increase the supply of houses so that price comes down and housing becomes more affordable. And the third priority that he'd identified was decreasing tax rates uh, so that more of your pay packet is kept in your pocket. Thanks for listening to the New Zealand Young Professionals podcast. I am your host, Ed McKnight. Uh, You can reach me personally. My email is ed at edmcknight.com. Uh, check us out on facebook we are nz young professionals podcast or our website is nz if you've enjoyed this podcast hit subscribe in your favorite podcast listening app until next time
1: the new zealand young
0: professionals podcast hosted by ed mcknight and brought to you by podcasts new zealand